Welcome to the sixth episode of Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Jean-Michel Beaulieu, part of the Montreal-based fixed income sales team, and François Leclerc, one of our provincial bond traders and CMB traders. This week's episode is titled Go Long and Go Home. I'm Ben Reitzes, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC Sales and Trading Desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Before we start, let me provide a bit more color on today's guests. Jean-Michel, who we'll call Jimbo as he prefers, is the head of our Montreal sales desk. Jimbo covers all rates products, focusing on Canada's, Proby's, and CMB's. Francois trades CMBs and is one of two provincial traders at BMO. On the provincial front, his focus is Quebec and all provinces to the east, leading him all the Atlantic provinces. Francois came over from a competitor nearly two years ago where he traded CMBs. Jimbo, is there anything you'd like to tell our audience about yourself before we start? Nothing more really except the fact that I'm quite honored to be on that podcast. I never expected in my life to be uh, on a podcast whatsoever one day, so happy to be here. I mean, it's 2020, anything can happen, and it has. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> You're welcome. Francois, anything from you? Same for me, Ben. Uh, really glad to be on the, on the podcast uh, with you and uh, Jimbo. All right. Well, welcome to both of you. It is going to be a good episode. No doubt about that. All right. So let, let's get things started here. It's November 18th, so uh, we're heading toward the end of the year. And uh, one of the major themes in Canadian fixed income markets through the second half of November is the December 1st coupon payments and maturities. There's over $40 billion in cash flow coming, which needs to be put to work. For those unaware, historically, government of Canada bonds were largely issued on June and December maturity dates. That's changed in recent years, though, and we'll see that pretty meaningful extend in 2021. There are now big maturities also in, in March and September, and really that calendar's getting spread out even further as they add new maturities for a three-year bond. That's all, of course, in addition to the still... Uh, notably concentrated maturities in, in June and December. Francois, what are you expecting to see over the next two weeks? And you can split that up in, into Proby space and CMB space. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, so it'll start in the provincial space. It's always uh, a big date uh, with uh, with Quebec having maturities on, on DS one and, uh, and Ontario having a, a June 2 cycle. So uh, some coupons payment being made there. As you mentioned, so the provincial index is extending 0.21 year on those two dates. And uh, you'll have the CMB uh, bucket extend 0.2 years, but that'll be on the 15th. So uh, if we discuss the provincial one first, there's going to be $6 billion of coupon paid, $3.4 billion of maturity on the first two days. So there's definitely going to be some cash uh, that needs to be put to work. And on top of that, you also have PQD's 21s that are rolling out of the index. So that's $7.5 billion that are going to move out of the index where people are going to roll into longer dates, threes, fours, and fives. That's always accompanied by uh, issuers trying to um, grasp that liquidity and issue into it. However, we have seen already a lot of issuance 
and um, you have Ontario that's just done basically 4 billion euros. Hydro-Quebec that's done two uh, $500 million long deal. Um, and so there's potentially a, a Manitoba around the curve, but a lot of the issuance has already been done. And uh, as you've mentioned uh, also, Ben, there's not going to be a lot of long issuance in Canada as we saw just today, for example, there was really a good bid for longs that the Bank of Canada buyback, and there's going to be a lack of issuance going into this one. So definitely think that there's some bonds to be picked up out the curve. And add on top of that, that the provincial credit box, the 10th, 30s credit box that has steepened uh, significantly since the Bank of Canada started its operation of buying back provincial bonds, because they focus on 11 years and, and shorter, uh, and the issuance being intense and longer, it has created the material effect to steepen that box structurally. But despite that fact, we sit at uh, levels that are at multi-year highs, about 17 and a half in Ontario, uh, 10s, 30s. So there, we've definitely seen some some fast money and some real money support there. And, and structurally, this one should bring some of that. Generally, you're constructive on credit here over the next the next two weeks, fair to say? 100%. Okay. And, and on CMBs? Well, on CMBs, we've got a big maturity. These uh, 20 uh, bonds are maturing. That's about $14 billion. None of those are held by the Bank of Canada. So it's going to be money that's going to hit the real money accounts and, and people like that. So there's going to be some cash put to work. Obviously, it's always timed with uh, CMB five-year issuance, but it's nowhere near uh, that size. Usually, they're going to target about $6 billion. So there's definitely uh, net cash hitting the market at that time. And and when investors put that cash back to work, do they just do it on a weighted by the index, or is I mean, is there some specific strategies that maybe you want to highlight for our listeners? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you have a big index base that are are going to invest it weighted by the index. So uh, in CMBs, you do have a bit of a role as well, where CMB D's twenty fives are going to fall into the the sub five year bucket, where so people are going to roll into those and pick up those away. You think about investor. Pretty much all index investors are, are going to look to do those types of extension, but they're going to ladder it across the curve as well. So we might see a bit of a three-year buying, four-year buying, five-year buying as well. Jimbo, from the sales side, anything to add on to this one? Anything you're seeing clients doing already a couple of weeks into this or, or anything you expect them to be uh, doing there? It's a long answer. I'll try to make it short, but uh, <laughs> it, it used to be a big deal uh, back in the days. You were easily seeing a quarter, quarter here extension for the, the D's coupon nowadays like this this time around it's 0.11 years so it's it's not that big of a move back then it's because it was because uh as you said most maturities were falling into june or D's, and um coupons were actually much bigger right thanks to the huge rallying rates we have like quarter percent coupons right today so it's much less cash and maturities this time around, it's 26 billion. Maturities are not really concerned usually for an index extension since they are already in the money market bucket. Maturities are not belonging to, to the indexers. So it, it usually not really affect the extension on itself. So again, back in the days, a quarter year was easy to see. Half of it coming from coupons, the other half from rollout. And nowadays, those uh, extensions are much smaller. The other, the other thing is that today, we got more international buying, and they're not as concerned about the index, obviously. They do reinvest their, their coupon, though. And we also have the Bank of Canada as a new player in the market, uh, buying in the secondary market, and they don't 
they don't have to extend right for the index. So, so you got those new players kind of um, smoothing out the effect of June and these. That being said, uh, we we used to see big big trades coming around early November to front run this move. The most popular one were Kanye um, West, particularly in tans and longs, where you, you really tended to have a big seasonality there that, that really pushed Canada through the U.S. pretty much year in, year out. Flattener, in some sense, and outright long, although uh, outright long, is there, there's definitely much more noise since we've rallied for the last 40 years it's kind of easy to say that you need to be long the rates anyway. Always be long. Exactly. Always be long. <laughs> so, so I'd say that Kenuess is, um, is usually the, the most profitable trade around these. Now, as I said, I do have less clients looking to put some those big alpha trades to front that flow. That's not surprising. Right? My guys are adjusting as they should, as they need to. But they're not as incentivized to put that big risk because, as, as I said, uh, the effect is not as overwhelming as it was. I think that's fair. And, and so for our listeners, uh, I put out a piece earlier this week, and I mean, it, it pretty much suggested that the, the impact is just not nearly as large as, as you think it would be. And I think that's going to be the theme going forward. I mean, given the, the changes in the maturity schedule for, for the government of Canada bonds, that's the trend, the direction we're going in. The one thing I would say this time around, though, is is uh, a couple of things. One, so even though the the overall index extension is is relatively limited, uh, there is a notable one in the long Canada index as, as uh, December twenty thirty bonds roll into the mid index. So that drives a notable extension there. And the the other thing is that there's really almost no issuance between now and December one. So we had a two year auction on Monday. There's another one on November thirtieth, and those are the only two auctions over this three week period. So. While you only have those two auctions, and by the way, they're smaller in size than they were, with the Bank of Canada selling just five billion in two years down from from seven billion per auction last quarter, meet the Bank of Canada is now buying four billion also per week, and they're going to buy over these three weeks twelve billion or so in in Canada bonds, and then on a net basis, you have negative net supply, uh, and on top of that, the Bank of Canada is moving further out the curve, so the DVO one of their buying has has increased as well as. We noticed today with them buying 450 million longs, that's up from 425 last week and a prior run rate of 400. So they're pushing further out the curve. So even though I'm with you on kind of expecting a little bit less out of DS one than maybe we have in, in, in past years, this year might be a little special just for those couple reasons. I, I'm not sure you're going to get a repeat of uh, this type of action with the Bank of Canada buying and, and just a net negative supply over kind of a two to three week period. 100% agree. I mean, I, I would add that, uh, although I said there there is definitely more international buying of the Canadian market and, and the Bank of Canada is a new player as well. But on the other side, I would say that like we're seeing on the equity side, we're seeing more and more passive investing. And so guys that are really not looking to do any kind of alpha, but just quantitatively replicating the index. And the percentage of passive investors is not as big in the uh, fixed income market as it is in, in stocks, but it's, it's, it's increasing every year. And there's definitely popularity to, to put more money into ETFs, for example, and passive funds, purely passive funds. So, so on this side of the story, there might be a reason to think that actually you could see a bit more 
of this coupon effect from these indexers, actually. Yeah, that's fair. As, as things get more mechanical. Exactly. Maybe that's something to take advantage of in the coming years. I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. What other themes are you, are you seeing coming out of the Montreal investor base at the moment, looking past these one or uh, just generally? We're at a really uh, interesting conjecture right now uh, where um, I think there's basically three things in the market. So first one is the election. Actually, that's done, but that's behind us, but it's not exactly settled. And there are definitely a lot of ramification about it. Second thing is the um, COVID resurgence. So that second or third wave, no matter how you call it. And finally, there's that uh, vaccine, right? Coming probably Q1 or max Q2. So we have the, those uh, headlines from Pfizer's and Moderna and about vaccines that are 92, 95%, 97% efficient. It's kind of a battle there. It leaves the market at a, quite an interesting place where I believe the economy, and we, we had some discussion, uh, you and I, on this. I, I believe the economy is, is slowing down again. So we had that big V-shaped recovery, if you want, propelled by the CARE Act, similar um, budget in Canada and everywhere else, actually. So lo- a lot of sp- fiscal spending, monetary spending. And so, so you had that big, big V-shapes. And then as we see COVID cases coming back, we're talking about uh, 150 cases per day now in, uh, in the U.S. And, and as we speak, as, as this thing is recorded, uh, New York just announced that they, uh, they will shut down school again. So we're definitely going into that second lockdown scenario. And so the economy should definitely slow. It's and we, we've seen it re- with retail sales this week. Uh, we'll see the data coming much worse than anticipated. And the credit uh, um, Citigroup uh, economic surprise index is definitely falling at rapid pace. All these uh, high frequency data coming out of Europe and uh, and the US are just heading lower right now. And so I, I believe this could be supporting for rates. And it's actually interesting because. Positioning out there is really stretch. Most people are short the long end of the curve. There's actually a, something like a four standard deviation short in, in long US treasuries. And pretty much everybody is in Stevener. I don't, I don't recall anybody talking to me about having a position other than, than being in Stevener. And um, I was listening to um, your recent podcast with Joel. He was saying also that he really liked the Stevener, right? So it's a really popular trade. Everybody's in the trade. And what you're seeing is that rates are quite high relative to where they were at the beginning of the year. When it reached about 175 in the U.S. longs, we're now uh, right around 160. And we got that massive skew in positioning and this economy falling. Now, you could say on the other end, you know what, the vaccine's coming, so it's all good. And I guess that's what we're seeing being supporting the, the stocks, actually. So stocks are definitely looking forward for that vaccine. I'm thinking that with a split election, as Biden's coming in, the Congress remain Republican, it's going to be tough for the, the government to spend money and you know give a big fiscal package. We, we were anticipating somewhere close to $2 trillion in September. We might end up with $500, $600 billion. Might not be enough. Let's go back in time. So we had this conversation uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, I would say, uh, where I was a little more upbeat on the, the backdrop than you. Admittedly, I'm 
a little more cautious now, given the way that COVID cases have increased. And, and it almost seems inevitable that parts of Canada will be headed for another lockdown in some way, shape or form. Even if it is localized, it, it's clearly a negative for the economy. So I think over the next kind of four to six weeks, so you get, you get into the DS one, I think even, even post DS one, when, when historically you'd probably want to be neutral or short duration generally, I think maybe this is the time to let that run a little bit because you are going to get that, that weaker data. I, the economy is slowing. I mean, that part was never really debatable. It's a question of how much it's slowing and, and how long that slowdown is going to last. And lockdowns mean it's going to be deeper and, and maybe it won't be that long. Maybe it's only a month or two, but it will be a notable setback for the recovery. And I still think, though, the market impact there is probably pretty limited. So uh, it, it, I don't think it'll be all that long because at the end of the day, like my broader view, and, and this is not going to change, uh, I don't think anytime soon uh, is a year from now. and, and probably in six months from now, I would, I would strongly argue, uh, we'll be in a far better place than we are right now. And so for now, I'm, I would lean your way. I think you, you probably want to be long rates. Risk might come under a little bit of pressure here. I mean, there is some wild card on the fiscal front. I suspect you get something close to a trillion out of, out of the US at the end of the day. I'm not sure when that's going to come. Timing on that is, is probably the key. But even 500 billion is, is still two and a half percent of GDP. So it's nothing to scoff at. And a trillion bucks is, is 5% of GDP. So like that, that's real money. That That's a sizable package. And plus on top of that, you get the fact that savings rates are as high as they are. There, there's a trillion or so in, in additional savings uh, accumulated over the past kind of since COVID started really uh, six, eight months. Uh, so that that will help on the flip side of this thing when when people are more able to spend money. But uh, if things shut down, clearly they're, they're not able to spend money. And so that that clearly would be an area where, where things are uh, under pressure. And I get the positioning side of things. Um, it, it's it's easy to kind of see why things should steepen. But I mean, and and I still think that kind of over the medium term, but uh, very near term, it, it's probably a little more, a little bit more trouble ahead, especially on the macro front. Uh, Francois, what are your thoughts on risk assets here over the next kind of, I'd say past this one, because we know we're going to get the support over the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, is that going to persist? Uh, is risk going to come under pressure because of the COVID outbreaks that we're seeing now and, and potential lockdowns? I don't think it's an issue of uh, of 2020. I think there's uh, still some strong support for risky assets. We've mentioned stocks, but like uh, the market still uh, lives and believes on, on, on steroid packages that are, are provided everywhere around the world. I'm a bit uh, different opinion than both you guys, and I think we're going to see the structural changes take place maybe second half of next year and where we're going to see like the broader, deeper damages that have been done by this pandemic. Office REITs, for example, that have erased all their losses of 2020, some of them, while you go downtown and you see that, that offices are empty and that nobody is really going back to those places, restaurants, business failures. In Quebec, the, the finance minister was mentioning that bankruptcies are lower for now in 2020 than they were in 2019, but I don't think they have kicked in necessarily. I think it's going to be more of a mid-2021 story. And, and same thing for the uh, airline companies, for example. Obviously, they've been big focus as part of this pandemic, but our business is going to change their models. Are we going to travel more like as we did for, for work before the pre-pandemic, right? So I think there's going to be some structural change. And then the wheel of stimulus will have stopped as well at that time. And we'll still be in a very low monetary policy environment and have much less tools to fight the next thing that, that happens, right? And the economy, as you've both mentioned, will have slowed down 
So um, the tools will be more limited and there will still just be this increasing wealth gap that has been increasing at a very rapid pace, especially during this pandemic as well. So what I'm getting is everyone is very bearish, kind of except for me over the medium term. <laughs> I wouldn't say it that way. I, 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 I actually agree 100% with Frank. I think that's the big theme right now is that you've seen for the last 15 years this technological advance in, in the system where the whole economy is just getting brutally, brutally destroyed by, by new tech, right? Uh, being Uber, Airbnb, Facebook. So it, it, it kind of displaced the whole industries. And what you've seen in the last year with COVID, and, and some people think of COVID as a kind of war, right? that you see you've seen this this technological advance accelerate for like five year ten year in a matter of a few months and so the few few people actually not a few but actually much more than we think that still used to go to the uh, to to a shopping center and they found out that with a few clicks on Amazon you get delivered your stuff the next day they're they're never going back to a shopping center and so what you've seen is the labor force participation rate just dropped massively this year and kind of rebounded to anywhere around 61.5% versus the whole 63%. I believe there's maybe 2 million, 3 million people that will never go back. Uh, actually, not will never go back. They will go back to some kind of jobs. But there's, you had that period where those people are not going to work. And those are real disposable income that are not in the system and has to be replaced by a fiscal package whatsoever. What if I told you that the size of the labor force is pretty much exactly where it was in February? Actually, it's a little bit higher in Canada. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about the U.S. Are we so different? What we're going to see with, with this second wave of COVID is probably some new wave of job losses, I believe. And we'll, we'll see if it's true. And we'll have to, to spend money. The government will have to spend money to help those people and during let that structural change in the market. As, as, as Frank said, restaurants, retail space, like 70% of the bottom line of, of airlines are, are business travel. And talk to any, any kind of businesses that saved all, how many million this year without traveling, with all those restaurant expenses. And they're now just more profitable than they've never been. They're, they're never going to go back to this old, old model again. It's, it's Zoom now. That's, that's how it works. I'm not saying that the whole world will change and we're all going out of the cities and it's a new life. It's, it's not the case. We'll go back to cities. We'll go back to restaurants. But there's some structural shift going on that are happening really fast right now displacing workers and you need that fiscal spending to help the economies keep flowing normally. Okay. So as I tend to do, I'm, I'm happy to take the other side because that's who I am. I mean, I, I sympathize with, with, with structural changes and, and there will be there to, to some extent, but I will strongly argue that people will not abandon shopping malls altogether. That was the trend anyways. And yeah, it's accelerated, but like, People still want to go out and look and shop and buy stuff. And you can't buy, I mean, as much as you can buy everything on Amazon, 
I don't think that's the desire of everyone to only get only to stay in their homes all day and have everything delivered all the time. I think for stuff that's kind of monotonous, I mean, you're buying tissues and toilet paper, like, sure, whatever. You don't need to kind of go to the store to pick that. But clothing and higher value items, stuff that costs money, I think you want to see those before that cost like notable amounts of money, not, not, a, not a dollar roll of toilet paper. You want to go to the store. You want to see those. You want to try things on. You want to test something. You want to look at seven different televisions before you pick the one you want. Humans have been doing this for a hundred years plus years. I personally don't think that's going to change. I'm, I'm technology has changed a lot over the past hundred, and it's going to change a lot, a lot more. I like five G. I think it's going to be revolutionary whenever it actually gets really up and running. I think that's kind of a bigger game changer than anything else. But I'm not going to go there now. I still go back to the fact that like we're all still people, and like yeah, maybe there's less business travel, but there'll still be business travel. And businesses will find somewhere else to spend their money and, and, and people will find somewhere else to spend their money. And I think that's probably one of the themes of this pandemic is that like, yeah, you had millions of job losses immediately, yet somehow retail sales bounced back really quickly. And, yeah. and so yeah, what's effectively we, happened is, yes, is, one, the, the is people have decided to spend money. Yeah. No, no, it's not just fiscal. The, the, people have decided the, the, to redirect their spending from services to goods. And so money is fungible. Totally, is point. totally agree. Now, Let's go back to this. If you talk to anybody right now, everybody's going to say you 2021 is the year. You like you got to buy everything. Basically, stocks will go to the moon. Gold should go to the moon, et cetera, et cetera. Why? Because we got that, that recovery coming. We got the vaccine coming. And we got that huge liquidity that will stay in the market. That's the big consensus. And we're talking a lot about that, that big rotation coming in stocks from tech to small cap and to value, right? It's, it's a big thing right now. Everybody talks about it, the Russell 2000, blah, 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 blah. My point is you had that big spike in dribbles this year. So everybody took their checks, bought a new house, bought a new cottage, bought a new bo- boat, renovate their garage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you had a big, big, huge spike in retail. Now, is, is this thing coming back? Yes. Is it coming reverse. back next year? You, you My, think that everybody is going to buy a new cottage next year? No, it's not. And so people say, okay, but with the vaccine, it's going to be pent up demand and service. So, okay, fine. So now what are you going to do in terms of traveling? You're going to travel more? No, you still have four weeks of traveling uh, of, of holidays per, per year, right? So you won't travel farther or more and you won't go to the uh, hairdresser more, Still, right? It's there's no there's no such thing as pent up demand and services. It's 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 more than where we are now. You can't really get pent up demand and services. It doesn't really work that way. Right. So so the economy's the economy's not gonna boom after a vaccine. At at the best, we're coming back to where we were in 2019. So it's not right. And and stocks have already priced way more than this in terms of multiples. We're way ahead of this. We're we're thinking about you know big big pent up another v-shape in 2021 that's that's how the market is is positioned right now we're, we're getting short, short on time here one before we get to the final my last question for you guys uh <laughs> one thing is is you know so so jm sends out an email with uh, some some good good talking points on a quasi-regular basis one of the ones he sent out this week uh just showed the amount of cash sitting waiting to be deployed that kind of argues the other side of things, doesn't it? And and just the fact that like the Fed and the bank and Bank Canada, sorry, ECB, Bank of Japan, all still doing QE, all still adding money to the system. 
still bodes well, I think, generally for, for assets, even if we're kind of bearish near term on the macro side. I think you can't be short risk right now. There's just too much money, too much liquidity. And I mean, when you think about it, if I told you back in February, hey, Ben, there's going to be a pandemic worldwide. The whole planet will be locked down. And by the way, in three months, we're going to make new high in stocks. You would have told me, like, what are you talking about? It's nonsense, but that's, that's actually what happened, right? And so even with that pandemic lockdown everywhere, we made new highs in stocks three or four months after. So that's, that's all. Too much money. Liquidity. There's just too much. There's just too much money. Too much liquidity. Cool. So you, even so, though there's COVID lockdowns, you can't go short risk and go short stocks and go short credit. You need to be long. My only point is probably the rates should come down a bit because they sold off too much because people feared a kind of inflation reflation team going on, which this is what I'm I'm debating actually. Go long and go home. Is, is you got it. it. Like. You got it. Before we wrap things up here, maybe both of you can give me one or two trade ideas, top trade ideas at the moment. Yeah, uh, I'm going to stick with what I know best and uh, and go with the seasonality here for the factors we've mentioned before. I do like uh, uh, being long uh, long rates going into this one with a bias for, for, for long bonds here. And uh, I'd use Provis to express it since the uh, credit box is at multi-year steeps. It provides also a little bit of a shelter to uh, hold on to that position, even though we see we tend to see um, government bonds sell off after uh, the coupon payment. Uh, we tend to see Provi spreads uh, continue to perform into year end, and uh, there's always a kind of an unofficial blackout period from provinces during the holidays uh, and uh, real money and, uh, and asset managers trying to put on the carry trades and make sure there there are long uh, provincial spreads at that moment. So uh, I think for those three factors, I do like uh, being uh, long, long and provies uh, outright at the moment. Yeah, I concur with Frank. Uh, I just love spreads. Anytime it backs up, uh, I, I think it's a, it's a buy. I Even with um, the weaker one in province, we're talking Alberta, for example, which is... Uh, Definitely trade a nice spread versus Ontario. And it's more and more liquid as they need to issue more. And so I believe that the spread of Alberta versus Ontario will, will continue to go down. And so it should outperform. I personally, I'm long U.S. Treasuries. So I think um, call options are just being outright long. U.S. longs is a good trade right now. All right. Thanks, guys. I'm amazingly, despite everyone being pretty bearish here, everyone wants to be long. Uh, everything, risk, rates I get, but risk as well spreads. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we wrap it up there? Thank you both for, uh, for joining me this week and I uh, look forward to having you on again. Thanks for having us, Ben. Take care, Beth. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. 
Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise it constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.